Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation, around the world. And a few of you who are still in COVID-19 quarantine. Welcome to. This is Tim May with the Tim May Podcast, aptly named. And, of course, it will be feasting. Featuring Boston, you know him as Austin Ward. Uh, I guess he'll be feasting and featuring Boston, you know him as Austin Ward. He always has great stuff to say. Uh, it's been an interesting time uh, putting together these podcasts because, as you can tell, we're doing it uh, remotely via Zoom. Sometimes the audio is great, sometimes it's not. It's kind of the risk you run into depending on the bandwidth at that time of the day and whether your provider is twerking it up or twerking it down. But I digress. Bottom line is, uh, I've tried to keep having some interesting guests on here to uh, while away the hours, and it's gotten to be the dog days of June, heading into the dog days of June now, because uh, the last week of May is turning into a blistering heat wave. Uh, but with that in mind, uh, this week's guest is a, a fellow most Ohio State fans remember, most of them finally, maybe some not, but uh, his name was his name was. His name is Jim Trussell, the president of Youngstown State University. Uh, maybe, I, I don't know who went from being a head football coach who won uh, five national championships to becoming president of their uh, president of a university, but Jim Trussell uh, is definitely in a unique crowd, that is for sure. Perhaps he's the only one, but uh, he's got some interesting things to say, and we didn't dwell, because it's been dwelled on millions of times, on what went down way back when in 2010 and in 2011, uh, but we Mainly what I want to get him into with him was how a president of university has been handling this COVID-19 situation. He has some interesting stuff to say about that. Also, some interesting stuff to say about, you know, who could, who might, might not survive in this, uh, as Urban Meyer called it last week on this podcast, survival of the fittest. You know, uh, small colleges might have a little bit of an advantage in terms of they don't always count on big time uh, big-time attendance at football games and big-time uh, television network uh, money to get them through, you know. Uh, the big thing for, for smaller universities is whether the enrollment will come back, whether or not there will be actual school in the fall. And uh, it's looking, he's got some interesting things about, interesting things to say about all that and really about how what happened on uh, Memorial Day 2011 when he in essence, asked to step down as the Ohio State football coach in the midst of that uh, NCAA investigation, had really opened some gates he didn't see coming maybe uh, six weeks earlier, and uh, how he stepped through those gates and found success in another way of affecting uh, young people. So, you know, without further ado, let's talk to uh, Jim Trussell. And ladies and gentlemen, as promised, uh, one of my one of my favorite people I ever met in life and uh, one of the favorite people I ever covered uh, being a sports writer, Jim Trussell. Jim Trussell, thanks for joining us on the Tim May Podcast. My pleasure, Tim. It's good to be with you. And, and Ellen told me to tell you that she still enjoys trying to go back and read some of your archive material that, that you, you motivate her. 
Well, I know it's on scrolls now, so you know right, what I mean. It's, right. You got to be. They're very, as they say in the a Christmas story, they're very fragile. Uh, you know, you too. I mean, before we got started here, as you know, I was kind of bugging you. Do you want me to call you Jim? Do you want me to call you President Trussell, Coach Trussell? What do you What do you answer to these days? Well, I, I answer to Jim and to President Trussell and to Coach, but I also answer to some other names. You know, from my faculty that uh, we probably this is probably a uh, not an X-rated uh, podcast. So I answer yeah. whatever anyone calls me. Well, Jim, just, you know, you've been on the front line, so to speak, of dealing with this COVID-19 situation as the president of a, of a university. And uh, just give me just a little bit of a background on when it first struck you that this was a serious thing and just what a wrench this is, monkey wrench this is thrown into the dynamics of college education. You know, we were hearing a lot about it there late February in the first few days of March. And Actually, I was over at the Horizon League basketball tournament in Indianapolis, riding back on Tuesday morning, uh, and we were on spring break. Uh, All of a sudden, all these universities are sending their kids home, and so I was on these calls with our provost and deans and so forth and talking about, uh, you know, what should we do? And I think in Ohio, Ohio State was the first one that came out. Ohio State was on spring break as well. Yeah. Yeah. and then we called uh, that Tuesday with all 14 public presidents talking about, uh, uh, you know, they were, they were a little mad at Ohio State coming out in front of the rest of the group. And so we got an earful from a couple of people. But uh, uh, trying to figure out, you know, how we could best as a group of universities uh, make the right decisions. Some people were on spring break. Some people were in school. Uh, we all came to the conclusion very quickly that we needed to uh, clear our campuses out, both our employees and students, but we didn't want to send someone away who had nowhere to go. So we wanted to make sure that yeah. on campus in the residence hall, in the apartments, what was better for them from a safety standpoint, uh, we would make sure we could take care of that and we could feed them and all the rest. But, you know, safety was number one, making sure that our people weren't out affecting other people. Um, and then deciding, okay, what are we going to do? We're halfway through the semester. How are we going to do this? 90% of our courses were face-to-face. Huh. So in the 13-day period, we pivoted 2,700 courses or something like that from an in-person face-to-face modality to a remote modality. And we had to make sure that our students had the laptops and Wi-Fi hotspots and our faculty, uh, our IT department was amazing. Our faculty was amazing how they pivoted and got their courses, uh, the remote. It's not really online, but if you will. Um, yeah. And we had to have discussions, Tim, about and the stress level of both the faculty and the students. Maybe we should give people the option of pass-fail for a class. You know, we someone in there who might've been sitting at a B or a C thinking, oh my gosh, now I'm remote, I can't do this. You know, I've cooped up, I don't have great Wi-Fi, so forth. So our academic Senate executive committee made the decision that if a student wanted to shift to a credit, no credit, they could. Uh, And just all of those things. So the first two was all about safety and about how we could successfully finish the semester. 
Who did you lean on the most for advice from the standpoint of how serious this COVID-19 situation was? Do you remember, was there one person in particular or a couple of people in particular, you, you go, hey, these guys know what they're talking about? Well, you know, we were staying tuned in with all the discussions on the federal level, you know, the president and Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burks and all that. But we were also paying very strict attention to Governor DeWine and Lieutenant Governor Husted and Amy Acton, who happens to be a Youngstown State grad. She's a star. And, and so we were listening closely uh, to them. Obviously, our marching orders were from the state level because the federal government had passed it on to the state because every state's a little different. Uh, kudos to the federal government. Uh, because we had to send students home and give them refunds for their dormitory and their dining hall and their parking pass and their rec fee and, and all those kinds of things, the federal government really did a good job of trying to help out universities to overcome you know millions of dollars we had to send back and but the students yeah. needed it and and so we really got a lot of good help from across the board every monday and thursday for probably the first eight weeks of this whole thing every monday and thursday we as a group of 14 presidents met on the phone so that we could talk and see what we learned see what we could share with one another you know that type of thing uh, our provosts met once a week on the phone. Our CFOs met once a week. Our HR people met once a week. Our student activities people. So really, as a group of public universities, we had a great support system, and we could really glean from one another, you know, what were the best things to do at the moment. Is Amy Acton going to get some kind of like special award from uh, the Youngstown State or being a proud penguin when this is all done? What, what's, your think, what's your thoughts on that? Well, no question. In fact, everyone wanted her to do the commencement uh, this year. And, and I said, hey, Dr. Acton's busy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> she doesn't even sleep. And so let's, let's just continue to be proud of her and let's support her and, and let's uh, uh, think about down the road. And, and interestingly, the Senate has to approve any uh, possibilities. So the academic senate immediately added her to the potential commencement speaker list, and and so maybe someday we'll get it. Right now, I'm sure she's uh, got plenty. We ended up doing a virtual commencement, and we're, our hopes are to think about August doing a little bit of a get together for the class of 2020 when the class of 2024 arrives. Uh, but again, yeah, we're waiting every day post for, you know, what is we're allowed to do. We've, we've got statewide committees for a safe return to campus. Uh, Dr. Amy Fairchild from Ohio State is the School of Public Health at Ohio State. She and uh, General Faison, or Admiral Faison from Cleveland State, who was a three, three-star admiral, who was in U.S. Navy medical operations uh, prior to his retirement. They're kind of co-chairing uh, our committee of how are we going to safely return to campus. We've turned in uh, to the governor uh, our plans for returning, and it'll, it'll look different. Uh, obviously, the density of classrooms will be different. Uh, all of the various things will have to change a great deal. Uh, but uh, we're hoping here in the next short while that uh, they'll let some students back on campus. I know some leagues, the Big 12 and the SEC, has yeah. In June, they'll let some student athletes back. 
I think as the state of Ohio, I don't know if we'll do it by conference or we'll wait and see what the governor has in mind, but we would like to consider bringing our student athletes back maybe after July 4th and also some other student activity groups so that we can rehearse some of the protocols that we're going to have in place. You know, I'd hate to practice when a thousand people show up and see if we can pull it off. I'd like to get four or 500 back here and see if we can do it well. So again, this is a day-to-day operation. Yeah, you don't want it to be an improv situation. Uh, you know, Ohio State's uh, football players are going to be – they're going to be allowed to voluntarily uh, return to the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, you know, June the 8th. Uh, and the interesting thing about that is they'll, they'll only be allowed to be in there in groups of including a, an instructor, nine players and an instructor kind of guy from Mickey Moratti's group and stuff like that. But, you know, let's just get down to the brass tacks, Jim, what everybody really cares about. Is there, is there going to be a football season this year? <laughs> a lot of people are asking that question, and, and, and I think we will have one, just like I think we'll have an academic year. It'll look different. Our academic year will look different. It won't be as crowded. Uh, you know, I would doubt that they'll let 106,000 at the shoe. I doubt if 20,000 at Stanbaugh Stadium here at YSU. Uh, but I would like to think that if we can get our players back to safely train and make sure there's no hiccups there. And then if we get our student body back and we can show that you can be back on campus, I think we'll be able to have a way to do it. But what I tell our people almost every day is, you know, everyone, are we gonna be back in school? I don't wanna sit in my living room and take school anymore. You know, we gotta come back. And my response is the better you do in June and July will determine if we're gonna be here in August. Yeah. Go out and you just are carefree and not careful and we have a, a little outbreak here in uh, our people from Dr. Acton on down and Governor on down, they they safety is first, which is what it should be. Uh, and then what we're interested in doing is probably second. So let's be safe. Let's do a good job this summer and make sure that like absolutely we should be back and we should be playing football and soccer and running cross country and everything else and it's uh it, i know that our our student athletes you know I, I was a little nervous tim about how would our student athletes do in class this second half of the semester it's like oh my gosh everyone's telling them they're not going to play and the track championship couldn't happen and the baseball couldn't happen and were they going to go into the tank and our coaches and academic advisors did a We have 402 student athletes here, and 104 of them got a four point this semester. Wow. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. They, 402, their cumulative GPA was 3.26. Uh, we had 76% of them had over a three point, and the lowest team GPA was 295. Wow. Out of 20 teams. So, uh, you know, our guys and gals did a great job and, and handled the adversity. Our obviously stayed on them, and, and that really made me feel good. But just to get back to compete. Yeah, that 104 number, man, that's a huge golf team. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> hey, I'm being, you know, you, as you were saying, talking about that, I just remember one of, the, one of your favorite sayings that I like would be where your feet are. You know what I mean? And that's kind that's of right. what people – 
need to kind of do right now. The, the idea is to presume what's going to happen, and which is really what can get you in trouble because I think what we're all fighting is from day to day almost, but definitely week to week, the parameters of this thing are changing. And, uh, and, and as even Gene Smith said last week on a teleconference with us that, you know, early July is when you really are going to get a feel for really how things may go in the fall. And it sounds like you subscribe to the same theory. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a week-to-week thing. The, the better we can show ourselves here in June. And then when we do get some students back on campus, if we can really demonstrate that we've got protocols in order and not having mishaps and so forth, uh, I think if we roll into July and things are looking as good as they are now or even better, uh, I think we'll get the green light to uh, have a safe return to campus and a safe return to athletics, both of which will look very different. Yeah. Hey, Jim, just straight up, uh, you know, because, you know, Urban Meyer and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago on this podcast, and and Gene kind of brought it up a little bit, but just how how tsunami-like could this fall be without football especially for the major colleges, if in fact there is something, I mean, are, are there some athletic departments that could teeter and fall on what's, what could be the possibility? I mean, around the country. And I, I'm just wondering, is Youngstown State's kind of in that category? How would you, what kind of footing are you guys on from a financial situation? Well, probably from an athletic standpoint, we're not as dependent upon revenue uh, as an Ohio State or a Big Ten or Big 12 or SEC, uh, we don't have the fixed costs. Yeah. We, we don't pay our coaches, you know, what I spend money on a lot of different things that uh, our athletic budget is somewhere in the neighborhood of 14 or $15 million. And we count on four or five with the revenue to help that budget. Uh, so it would impact us without question, but it would be more impactful if we decided that, you know what, it's not safe to come back and live in the residence halls and eat in the dining halls. That would impact us $8 million per semester. Wow. Just us. Can you imagine what it would be at Ohio State with four times as many students or Miami of Ohio and OU with twice as many students, but probably four times as many students that live on campus? So you're kind of revenue. So uh, I, I tell our people all the time, we've got some really good advantage. In a moment like this, people are going to be looking for quality that's affordable. And right now, tuition isn't as high as many of the schools in the state. We're not forced to live in these big, huge residential hall populations. We own about 1,200 of our own beds. And then we have another, oh, 2,000 adjacent around campus that are apartment style, which fortunately a thousand of our beds style are brand new. Everyone has their own, their own bedroom. Uh, you know, from a social distancing standpoint, they're really good. But we don't yeah. have 16,000 people living on top of one another. And uh, so uh, we have some advantages. Uh, you know, I'm rooting for to be able to make it. Uh, but it would be easy. Unfortunately, we're all in the where we have to do some furloughs and we have to do some layoffs, and, you know, those kinds of things, which, uh, you know, it, they're no fun. Uh, if the big power five doesn't have football, 
it's, it will be hugely impactful. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, a lot of people think the little guy, I, I agree with what you just said. You know, I mean, you guys are based on tuition, et cetera. You guys are a bargain out there compared to Ohio State and some of the other, some of the Mac schools when you just, uh, just the yearly cost uh, for students to attend. I wanted to ask you this, though. Do you, does it feel like you're making a fourth and one call against Michigan every day of the week now, maybe three or four of them or five or six of them. What, what is that sense? What does that feel? What does it feel like to be in the midst of this and be the leader of a university? You know, I just said something to Ellen in the middle toward the end of last week. What this feels like to me is recruiting because I remember during recruiting, one day you thought, oh, you know, we're doing good. Then yeah. Someone decided to go elsewhere. Then you were up, oh, we got a pretty good sign from so-and-so. Then it went down the other. Then you went up. Then you went down. And that's kind of, you know, what this feels like. Because every time you turn the news, you know, it's you know, whether it's possible vaccine, one person saying it might be within a year, other person saying still don't have a SARS vaccine or a, some of the other ones that haven't been able to figure it out. Uh, or yes, we'll be able to be back, or no, we only want one person in a residence hall. Well, if there's only one person in a residence hall room at Ohio State, I don't think Ohio State can afford that. You know, and so you're up, you're down, you're up. One day you're feeling good that your faculty's done a great job, and then you hear one faculty member who's maybe your age or mine, Tim, saying, oh, I don't know if I want to come back and teach from my home, so you're Plans are up and down. So it's it's not so much like fourth and on the fourth and one call, you, the, the call comes and goes, you know, but it, it's like a series of fourth and ones, yeah. constant uh, roller coaster. And uh, and even when we get back, let, let's be optimistic. Let's say we're back here in the fall. We will be uptight as to every day finding out did, did all of a sudden we have an outbreak. You know, and, and so I don't know when it will be uh, a relaxing time, uh, probably not until you get that vaccine that everyone says clearly um, there's no threat. But until then, it's going to be like recruiting. It's going to be a roller coaster. Yeah, I, I equated this on my podcast a couple of weeks ago to when me and my brother used to go out and hunt snakes in the, in the ditch. One of my older brother, we'd go out and hunt snakes in the ditch behind our house before we'd play baseball or football games back there to make sure this was in East Texas. But you never know if you got all the snakes out of the grass, right? You just That's saw right. the ones that were obvious. And this is like that. 2001, when you had to deal with that, uh, you know, the 9-11 fallout and the game got got postponed and then y'all's next game was at UCLA. Have you drawn any parallel to that at all? Or is it just a sense of, hey, you know, if everybody stuck to their P's and Q's, there weren't going to be bombs in the Rose Bowl that next game when y'all played UCLA and stuff. You know, uh, I mean, is it – but have you drawn – are there any parallels to that from your, from your vantage point? You know, there, there are some because we had some student athletes that the UCLA trip was going to be the first time they were on an airplane. Yeah. Uh, they were nervous about, uh, you know, the East Coast was hit. All the, you know, rumors and whatever, talk shows saying, hey, the rumor is that West Coast is next and what would be a bigger uh, impact than the Rose Bowl with 100 people. And so – there was a lot of tension that uh, week. I think once we got through that week uh, and because we have a 
whole bunch of people who were directly affected by 9-11. Yeah. Uh, they, they didn't really know anyone. Um, I think it got back to a, a certain norm. Outside of maybe some of the security travel things that, you know, a little different. Uh, I was talking with someone. We were talking about the White House the other day. And uh, about the difference between going to the White House in the 90s and going to the White House in 2003 after 9-11, it was a totally different visit. Oh, it was Ben Hartsock. Ben had coached Antonio and Coach Bowman and I on a little podcast talking about uh, uh, 2002 season and then going to the to the White House when almost got shot by a sniper for go make a snow angel in the front lawn. But uh, yeah. uh, it was different in 2003. And so things are going to be different going forward for all of us, um, some of which will probably be good. Part of it will probably be aggravating and expensive and everything else. And, and uh, it's, tune in. It's going to be interesting. Let me, let me tell a little anecdote from that, though. You told me later and, you know, kept a secret for a while. But uh, you know, on that trip to the White House, as you told me, um, President Bush came up to you, saddled up to you, said, hey, we're going in. And you looked at it, or you were looking like, you're going in, what? I mean, uh, he kind of gave you the precursor that the assault was about to take place, right? What, what went through your mind when he said that to you? Well, you know, those are big decisions. You know, way yeah. my pay grade, and, and it just reminds you, you know, when you're, when you're thrust into those situations where you, you have to make tough calls, you know, you've got to – you better have good people around you. And, uh, you know, that's, we've been fortunate here with this COVID-19. So pleased with whether it's our faculty or our staff, uh, everybody involved is, you know, every time you make a decision, you know, uh, you're going to impact people, especially that you make this fall. And yeah. Bringing big groups back. You know, we don't want to be the ones that, uh, affect others outside of us. And, and so, you know, life is a series of decisions and, and you better write people to make sure you bet, you know, and, and uh, you know, make those good decisions. You know, when I've, when I've described what football is like in this, uh, I've used sort of a Jim Trussell word that I just kind of made up. It was, I, I keep saying football is the most congregational of all the sports because you got 22 guys running into each other on every play. You've got, you know, Ohio State's case, 100,000 people in the stands, even 50,000 if that's what it's like. I mean, it would seem like, Jim, it would be almost the last sport that would give, be given clearance to, like, do your thing. Uh, you you well, see what I'm and, saying there? And that's just on game day. But, you know, think about the number right. of people that were at the Woody every day at practice. You've got right. trainers, you've got equipment guys, you've got student coaches. You know, you've probably, I don't know, well over 200 people are, you know, kind of huddled around the environment, and those things are going to change, and there's no yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, the, 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 what Ohio State, the word uh, they're using is essential personnel. That's what they've, they're trying to figure out who definitely has to be inside the Woody's Athletic Center uh, for a practice, et cetera. And then, and then the protocols, you know, I mean, everybody will get checked going in every day. You know, you won't necessarily get a COVID-19 test, but you, you will be tested at some point. And, uh, yeah, to me, it's just the logistics of just putting a team on the field is mind-boggling because, like you said, 
football is about meetings more than anything else. And, right. and, and uh, guys, you know, everybody was wearing a mask, et cetera. Hey, uh, let's just jump on a couple more things. And I'll get out of here with you. I appreciate you coming on with me. And, uh, sure. you know, it, it's uh, uh, it's not lost on me and probably not lost on you that in uh, 2011, I was sitting outside the Woody Hayes Lake Center on Memorial Day when, when the word came down that you – had uh, resigned, retired, uh, stepped stepped away from football. And, and what I want to ask is this. Number one, I know that was emotional for you in all kinds of ways. But the flip side of it is, as you look back on it now, uh, a huge gate opened <laughs> that I'm not sure you, you thought you would have ever gone down. And j- just how emotional was that time when you were basically, you know, in essence, asked to leave your post uh, that you had dedicated your life and soul to, you know, the 24-7 rule you believed, I think, you worked 23 hours a day one way or the other, dreaming about football or making it better. But how tough was that? But then is it amazing how these other gates opened for you? You know, that, that is one of the amazing things. that You remember Doc Spurgeon that used to be around our our place, Little Bitties, my old mentor, the old retired English yeah. professor. He used to come up a little bit in the spring and the summer. And I remember – Right about that moment, uh, he said, "He said, I know you probably aren't looking at things this way, but by far you have a lot more impact ahead of you than behind you. And he said, but you have to believe that. And unless you believe that, then if you believe that, it will. So that kind of came in one ear, stuck a little but, you know, out a little as well. But the more as the days went forward, um, it, it really was uh, kind of a, an exciting challenge to figure out, well, what could that possibly be? And, uh, you know, I had planned not to make a rash decision. And, you know, you get calls from people, could you come coach here, go do this, do that. And I thought, nah, you know, I'm going to, I'm not going to make a hurried decision. And then when Jim Caldwell called and, said, hey, we're not going to have Peyton Manning. We're not going to win any games. Could you come win a couple? And so one thing led to another and got to spend some time with Jim, and which was really good because it made me realize that, you know what, there is something else, you know, that, and I'm not yeah. sure what it is. And then all of a sudden, people from different industries and different directions and were uh, getting a hold of me. And, and the one that – was in the higher education. Some of the small colleges that had open presidencies were calling, and I visited with them a little bit. I thought, well, I don't know enough about I might be dangerous if I go do that. And, you know, as fate would have it, uh, Dr. Proenza from the University of Akron called and said, look, you would be perfect for this one day, but you're going to have to learn. And why don't you come for a couple years and be a vice president? Promise me two years. And uh, years and help us. I think you can learn. You'll find out if you want to be a president someday. And you know, wouldn't you know it? Fate, yeah. all the rest, and and uh, so uh, I, I have told many people many times that uh, you know, all of a sudden you're forced. If you're forced to pivot, and you believe even greater things are going to happen, you can. Uh, now, if you are forced to pivot and woe is me, or you cling to whatever it is you're comfortable with, 
you know, you're probably not going to be able to, to have that even greater impact. So, uh, yeah, I look back and, and I would have never dreamed, uh, you know, being a college president. I'm still, I'm sure there's a lot of people around dream there would be one too but uh but we've been having fun and and uh you know it's uh it's a neat opportunity and and uh spent 45 years now in higher education just at all different levels and and all the time this is no less exciting yeah than the, the last one uh, it's much broader and it's it's stretched intellectually uh it's really made me uh, be a better listener and a better learner because I didn't know what I didn't know. And uh, to me, that's a, that's a real positive thing when you can be fortunate enough for that to happen in your career. I was going to say, uh, Jim, I was at the uh, press conference when they announced you as the vice president at Akron, one of the vice presidents at Akron. That's got to be the largest attended press conference for a, vi for a vice presidential uh, announcement in history. <laughs> I mean, well, people were curious, you know, for all kinds of reasons of what, what was going to happen with you. You know, I would think that being a president of university uh, compared to being a head football coach, Head football coach is more like driving a speedboat, and being a president of university is more like driving an oil tanker. Is it? Is it? In other words, decisions you make now, you don't see the turn for like maybe six months or a year or something. Is it? it, it was it? Was it hard? Kind of like settling into that sort of like not instantaneous impact for the most part. Yeah, I talk to my deans and my provost and my vice presidents all the time, and I remind them that for forty some years. 40 years, I made a decision every 25 seconds. Would you guys please make a decision? Because that tanker doesn't make decisions real fast. Um, yeah. that's, um, that's a learning thing too. I think tankers should probably make decisions a little sooner. Maybe speedboats, you know, be a little bit more careful and deliberative and, uh, uh, you know, research things. But when the, when the, Clock's ticking down. You got to make a call, and uh, I think that experience. I think if I went the opposite direction, if I was a president first and then went to be a coach, I'm not sure it would translate as well as being a coach and a president. No, yeah, I have no analytical data for that. <laughs> you know, no proof. But uh, there's a whole lot of, of coaching and and working intimately with students that uh, you know. It, it helps me help our people things from a student-centric standpoint, and I think that's uh, that's been a blessing. You notice I haven't asked too much about football, and I, and I won't because that's that's pretty much behind you now, and you, you've been through that a million times with people. Uh, I do want to ask this, though. Uh, have you been contacted? Are you interested in the Ohio State president job? Boy, you told me this was you told me this was going to be an easy podcast. It is. That's a yes or no answer. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Yeah. You know what's interesting? You know, I've chit chatted with some people about it, and I've I've asked the question: What is it that they that they feel they need? Because people say, "Are you interested?" And and I'm really not interested if it's if it's something that they need something else. If what qualities I've been able to demonstrate or need uh, you know so I have had one little discussion not with Ohio directly um, but uh, you know I, I think it's difficult for a sitting president in the middle of all this yeah uh, to think much about that 
In fact, when I was contacted, uh, I kind of forgot it was on a long thing of emails and, and, you know, I was so engaged in so many other things. Uh, but then I finally got back to the person and, and just from a curious standpoint, you know, well, what is it, you know, what is it you need? And you do know that this is difficult to even have that quick one question conversation because we got a lot on here. And, and yep. uh, I, I think really for a place like major R1 research with a medical school, uh, with a desire to be a top 10 public university, um, I think they would be better served to have more of an academic uh, reputation uh, in their next leader. Not that Dr. Drake didn't have it, he had great academic reputation. But I think that's what the Ohio State presidency deserves. Uh, you know, so my guess is that's what they need. That's what, and uh, my hands are full here. So uh, I think I think we'll be just settled in here and, and for for the foreseeable future. Well, I'd like to say this before you go. You know, uh, a, a uni major university is not unlike uh, a major uh, race car. It runs on grease, green grease, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, that's as important, I think, as anything else. And you've, you've shown the ability to be able to raise funds, et cetera, Jim. And uh, I was going to say, last thing, is it, I don't know, as you look back on it now, was, it, was, this, uh, was this sort of like you think meant to be? Because I was very curious when a couple of, for example, pro football jobs came up. People, I got phone calls from people asking me about you, you know, like the Browns, for example. I thought you would have been a tremendous pro football coach just because of your approach, because you remind me, uh, you remind me so much of looking back of some of the greats uh, who, who did that, like Joe Gibbs. Uh, I mean, he was a, he kind of had this, has the same demeanor you've got. You know, Paul Brown, uh, right on down the line, there were guys who just were cut out to be head coaches. And I'm just wondering, did, was, that a, was that a chance or a possibility that passed you by that you wish you'd had a shot at? You know, not really. You've heard me say many times that paradise is where I am. Uh, you know, when I came to Ohio State in 2001, I wasn't sitting around Youngstown hoping to go to Ohio State someday. Yeah. Uh, it just happened. One thing led to another. I, I talk all the time to young coaches about timing and so forth. The timing was good for me in 2001 because I think they were anxious to have someone with deep Ohio roots. You know, I, I think that was something that was important to them. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, we had had a good run at Youngstown State and one thing led to And uh, I'm sure some people were offered the job before they offered it to me and, and all the rest. So, uh, you know, I, like you used the phrase, uh, stay where your feet are. The one I always use is keep your mind in your rear end. And uh, my mind has always been where I am. And uh, if I stayed my whole life as an assistant coach at Akron back in the 70s, I'm sure I would have, I would have been fine with that. And, and uh, likewise, every job I have, I don't have any regrets. You know, do I love the thought of the Cleveland Browns getting, you know, back to the glory days and so forth. Yeah. But you know, lots of people, uh, you know, that about that dream about that and time yeah. has to be right. Fit has to be right. Uh, you know, so I don't know uh, the new coach at the Browns. I know the new coach at Ohio state. Uh, 
pleased with uh, the few interactions I've had with Ryan. We sat at a banquet about a week before all this COVID broke out. And they were, uh, uh, they had had like one or two spring practices. at Two, yeah. And they lost their tailback. And we were talking at the table. He was saying, oh, my gosh, you know, talking about maybe no, you know, spring practice, sending the students home and all that. And he said, man, I wish they'd have done that days ago, you know. But uh, he seems like a, a, a real you know, quality young guy that, uh, that the players enjoy playing for. And, and uh, so I'm excited about him. I don't know the new coach at the Browns, but uh, I'm sure he's a good one. And, and Tim – like you and I are in the same chapter in life, it's time for the young people to have their opportunity, you know, to the younger people. We're still young, but younger people. And I used to think about all those years that Colonel stayed at Penn State. Uh, there were probably two or three people that get to be the Penn State head coach because he was able to be it so long. Yeah. Anyone that would have the chance to be the Ohio State head coach or the Browns head coach uh, will be the lifetime for them. And uh, I'm more than happy to have someone other than me be the Browns head coach. Yeah, no, you and I, you and I had that conversation about Joe Pa a couple times, if you remember, and you, you did not see yourself doing that as long as he did for all kinds of reasons. And, and one of the things was, you know, also, you know, you were so hell-bent on 100% every day if you ever woke up a morning when you weren't going to give 100%, you felt like you were cheating somebody. Uh, you're a young president. <laughs> do you do, – every day do you, do you wake up with a vim and a vigor that uh, drives you? Oh, there's no question I wake up with a vim and a vigor. But I will say this. Ellen and I were laughing. You know, we went 45 years going out every night, you know, banquets, fundraising, recruiting, you know, whatever it is. And all of a sudden we're at home every night. And every weekend was taken. All of a sudden, weekends, you can't go anywhere. And I said, you know, I think this might be a dress rehearsal for retirement. You know, I was talking with Mark D'Antonio and Jim Bowman. I said, how do you like it? They say, you know what? This isn't bad. You know, so we'll see uh, one day at a time. And, and uh, you know, like we used to always talk about at Ohio State, as long as you're the best person for the moment, you know, you probably, that's your duty to be there. If you know, it might be better if you move on, then it's time to move on. So we'll see. We've got to get through this COVID thing and yeah. have the stability. And, and it, this, the university, Tim, as you know, is so important to this region that, uh, uh, you know, we've got to make sure we do this one right. And, and uh, you know, then we'll see what happens after that. And, and uh, maybe we'll get down to the Gulf Shores of Alabama sometime to visit with Andrews. That's interesting because my daughter and her boyfriend are in Gulf Shores, Alabama right now having a little vacation. Uh, last question I wanted to ask you, uh, um, and we'll get out of here. Uh, are the, are the, is the era of the long-term major college football coach over? And uh, Nick Saban and Kirk Ferentz are probably, you know, I mean, Kirk Ferentz more than anybody, you know, now in the Big Ten, but do you, is it with all the pressures, et cetera, the scrutiny, the Twitter, the whatever, will anybody be a 30-year coach ever again at one place? You know, I think it'll be harder uh, simply because you have all that, the Twitter and the Instagram and the, the transfer portal, yeah. image likeness, 
Uh, and, you know, coaches are making a lot of money now. And, you know, some people keep their job for a long time because they say, ooh, I got to work a lot, little while longer so I have a couple bucks in retirement. Uh, you know, so I think if you add all those things together, um, it will be more difficult. But there will be that, you know, there's always those ones that, uh, you know, I don't know how many coaches in, in uh, major college football have coached 20 more head coaches, probably not many. Uh, and it will probably be some fewer now, but I don't think it will be extinct. Yeah. I was going to say, man, I, I grew up in that era, you know, of, uh, uh, you know, same th- same time you did. I just remember Woody. They wanted to run Woody out of here in 67. Uh, Bear Bryant had a lean latter part of the 60s, and yet the university stuck with them, and they had their maybe their most glorious years as far as football teams after that, you know. So, you know, everything's going to ebb and flow, right? Yeah. It's harder for the universities to stick with you now. Right. All of a sudden, the attendance starts going down, or the or the social media ramps up, and uh, uh, you know, uh, Coach K at Duke, you know, he was terrible at the beginning, and, uh, but they, you know, they thought he was the right kind of person, and there was no social media, and there was only eight thousand going to Cameron Indoor anyway, and uh, you know, but it, it's a little more difficult now, uh, you know, with uh, I think the patience level of man uh, and the so many sides of the media that uh, it's a little bit more difficult. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Trussell, President Jim Trussell, former coach Jim Trussell, uh, thank you for, very much for joining me on my podcast. Now, my pleasure, Tim. Always good to be with you and keep in touch. I will, my man. You know that. Thank you very much. Hall of Famer, right. Jim Trussell. Yes. We'll be back thank in a you. moment, ladies and gentlemen. As always, an interesting conversation with Jim Trussell, and I think my my buddy Boston, you know him as Austin Ward, would agree with that, right, Boston? Yeah, he's um, you know, as everybody who listens to this podcast regularly knows, my time frame for covering Ohio State moving up here was post Jim Trussell. Um, <laughs> basically, Urban's arrival is what brought me to Columbus, as as ESPN was looking to you know basically follow this team on a daily basis and and expand their coverage of Urban Meyer and what they thought was going to happen there. So, you know, the, I've had to rely on, on you and Berm and everybody else around this beat to – obviously, I've, I covered college football at that time. I know what Jim Trestle did, and I also, you know, live with a with a, my wife who grew up being an Ohio State fan and her whole life. And I, and she had Trestle's book when we started dating, and I know about him, but, you know, the history and stuff and what it was like on a day-to-day basis with him, like, uh, and the way he sees, you know, stuff like, you know, being a president of a university and getting through COVID-19 and how that impacts a school and a football program. He's got such a unique perspective on it. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I wish that I had got to, you know, get here earlier because I love Columbus and I love covering Ohio State and get to know him a little bit better because my experience, I think I've maybe interviewed him one time. And, uh, you know, I don't have that. He's just – he's an interesting, uh, impressive figure in college athletics, and I, I wish that I got to had got to cover him the way that you did because he seems to have really um, – not he doesn't always maybe present that, that knowledge and perspective publicly. He seems – sometimes he does, you know, act like the senator and give you that on-the-fence answer, but I think yeah. when you peel it back, he does seem to have some really, you know, great ideas and an interesting approach to life. He's – uh, for one of another term, he's a very intelligent man. He's uh, well-read. 
He's well learned or learned, depending on how you pronounce it. I think the British say learned. Uh, uh, he, you know, and uh, it just—it's just amazing to me. I got to—I got to interview Woody Hayes several, quite a few times actually, back in the late '70s, and 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 after he was, uh, you know, unceremoniously dumped as Ohio State football coach following the Gator Bowl in 1978. And uh, but uh, you know, it's amazing to me. Uh, Woody Hayes, Earl Bruce, uh, John Cooper, Jim Trussell, uh, for one year Luke Fickle. Urban Meyer and now Ryan Day, uh, what's that, seven guys, how they could be, all be so different in so many ways and yet effective. And it just shows you, you know, if you've got a plan and you follow the plan, because, uh, you know, we've seen, and I, I threw Luke Fickle in there because he was the interim coach thrown into a really tough situation after uh, Trestle was let go and uh, stuck with Trestle's staff and also lost uh, several of his key players, most of them for almost all the season. And one, one key player, Terrell Pryor, actually quit the team, you know, rather than face NCAA scrutiny uh, going into that season. Uh, and yet he, he mustered through, and now he's shown his true colors as the head coach at University of Cincinnati, one of the more talented head coaches in the country. I think you agree with that. But it's just amazing to me how different these guys are and yet still get the job done. Yeah, and I think if you ask them all, Tim, the thing that they would say is that, and you referenced this, is that you have to have a plan that you believe in. And the one thing that – so it doesn't all have to look identical because – uh, the one advantage to being so successful that you become the Ohio State coach is that when you get to Columbus, you're going to have every possible resource available to execute your plan. So let me interrupt you. And yeah. it, that's what John Cooper said. You know that John Cooper made that point. You know, if you don't win here at Ohio State, then you 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 know you you're not trying. Go ahead now. Yeah. So I, I think, uh, but I think that that's important to remember is that there's just not one way uh, to go about winning at Ohio State. And this came up a lot in the transition, you know, that, that we covered from Urban Meyer to Ryan Day. It was like, well, what part you – know, Urban was wildly successful. Like Most coaches at Ohio State do have some uh, high-level success. That's why they're, they're hired in the first place. But yeah. you know, what, what are you going to keep? Like, how do you maintain what he builds? And, and, and he, he was pretty open and honest, I felt like, from the start, Ryan Day was, that you have to – you have to shape it to your personality. Urban did great things and he brought new things to Ohio state. And, and when you're talking about, you know, the real life Wednesday stuff or the way that Mark Pantone ran the recruiting operations, that's and Mickey Marotti, whatever. Those are things you didn't want to mess with, but right. he couldn't just, you know, absorb all of Urban's personality because that maniacal focus and intensity that Urban Meyer has, Ryan days is different and he doesn't, you can tell with him that the competitive fire burns just as brightly, but he is able to turn it off and on in different settings. And, you know, I remember you, you and I would be sitting out in the, uh, in the bigs lobby outside the practice facility on a Wednesday night, and he's leaving at 8 PM. You know, you don't see a lot of college football coaches doing that. Um, you know, that doesn't, so Trestle's thing is more that, you know, those quiet moments and that um, senatorial leadership but it also won a national championship. And the guys that um, we've had working with us at Letterman Row, you know, whether that's, you know, Will Crawl or having talked with Brian Hartline a number of times or Anthony Schlegel, I mean, these guys would do anything for Trestle still to this day. Uh -huh. And that leadership, you know, permeates. But all of that 
is done in a different way. And that's why I, I'm not an expert on the way he did it by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think it's interesting to look at the end of Trestle's career and compare, you know, a decade on now in the name, image, and likeness and the scandal that brought his tenure to an end. It's possible, uh, maybe probable, that it was best for Ohio State to have somebody else elevate the program after Trestle. I think that that wound up being a, a good situation for the Buckeyes. Yep. Urban Meyer is sitting right there. But, you know, who knows what the rest of his career would have looked like at, the, with, at Ohio State if there wasn't this push to allow players to actually capitalize and sign their name and sell a jersey or whatever it is that they got to do. Because now you look, at what, yeah, whatever, you, you look at what brought him down now, and it's like, what, why, why was there so much outrage? I don't understand it. Yeah, well, I even, you know, I kept that thinking way back then, you know, except the outrage was that that stuff was against NCAA rules, you know, but, uh, you know, it's not like breaking and entering, you know, that's the way I looked at it. Uh, I mean, and plus the school, the school over, in my opinion, overreacted. You know, we could debate that forever uh, in a lot of ways, just like, you know, two years ago, what went on uh, with the uh, with the Urban Meyer situation, um, that was – things just got way out of hand, and it was crazy. You know, and when things go, get way out of hand, somebody has to pay the price. Right. And, uh, and uh, it's funny because every one of those guys I just mentioned a while ago who were head coaches at Ohio State in one form or fashion were summarily let go. You know, <laughs> no matter how you, no matter what words you use, they were told you're no longer, you're no longer the guy. Uh, Urban, you know, Urban came to that uh, decision himself based on everything I've ever found out about it. But he was, there were some tough things going on then, things he didn't like that, uh, that happened to him during that year. And then, of course, compounded by the fact he had that arachnoidal cyst that uh, basically made made at times life unbearable for him from a physical standpoint you know he's a lot better off now you know it's really funny before we move on just talk a little bit about uh, the COVID-19 or how high state's responding now uh the uh the funny thing about the urban meyer podcast from two weeks ago i had is like he said you know and i read uh, reading here where some people say i was, I was tough to work for and you know they're I think to a man, most people will say that, you know, I got told him he was a, uh, you know, he was considered for one of another term, a taskmaster, a guy that believed, don't tell me what you've done, tell me what you're doing and tell me what you're, what's coming. You know what I mean? That's, that's the way he operated in life. But uh, both he and he and uh, Jim Trussell had something very much in common. They were, they were very much detail oriented. I think that's what separates the great ones from the near greats is they are detail oriented, want to cover as much ground as, as many of the bases as possible in preparations for a game or any other endeavor that the football program takes and uh, that's what in my opinion uh, sets them apart just like Woody Woody was a big detail dude man and uh, so was Earl Bruce John Cooper was too for the most part but John Cooper believed in hiring uh, quality assistant coaches and sort of letting them do their job you know, and that's the other way of going about things, you know, just like Bobby Bowden did, like Bear Bryant did the last 20 years of his 15 years of his career. I mean, that's also another way of doing it. But, you know, you've got to keep up with what they're doing or that can get you in trouble. So, you know, it's just it's just funny to me how different these guys all were. And uh, yet they were all effective in their own ways. And like you said, though, if, if they were also given the keys 
to a Mercedes, you know. Now drive the Mercedes, you know. Make sure you change the oil, you know. Uh, make sure you get to keep the brakes up to stuff. But it's a Mercedes. Drive it. And uh, some of them drove it maybe better than others, but they all they all had some uh, glowing moments. Yeah, and I think maybe that's why people had, you know, the Urban Meyer. You're going to give him the keys and not even think twice. He's already proven he could drive it. But I think when we're talking about you know the stuff with Ryan Day and why people asked how much yeah. he was going to keep of Urban was that he had never, you know, he had, he'd had a learner's permit, but he had never driven a whole machine on his own. Right. And that was <laughs> like, we were sitting there like, how are you going to manage all this? Cause you're, you've never been a head coach. You've just been an offensive coordinator. You know, he'd only been around this program for two years after coming back from the NFL. And it was like, that really caught people by surprise because of just how powerful this program is and the amount of resources that you're giving to him. Now, obviously, Urban Meyer and Gene Smith and, you know, JT Barrett and Dwayne Haskins could all vouch for the fact that, hey, we believe this guy can do it. But, you know, I, you still look at the way this, is, this all has transpired and the fact that we've talked the last few weeks about, you know, obviously his debut season, but now the recruiting and, and everything trending in the positive direction. We've seen the leadership that he's had, you know, the players, and we've got to talk to a few of them you know, the way they talked about the team meetings and Zoom meetings and the message and how much they believe in what he's doing. Like everything that's has been validated so far, right, for Ryan Day. And, yeah. You know, but that's, again, my point is that all these guys are building on stuff that came before them. For, for anyone that, you know, Woody, obviously, his name is on that building. Earl Bruce wound up playing a pretty big role in helping bring along Urban Meyer, among the other things that he did in the 80s. And then, you know, people going to – pick at, at Cooper's record against Michigan, but that changed at the, he was a guy that helped change. I think the recruiting at that yeah. time was a huge stockpile of players. And then Jim Trestle took them to another level. All these guys are continuing to build off that. You, you wonder why like Ohio state stands alone as this, not alone, but in a top two or three etch, upper echelon programs because they're stacking tremendous leaders on top of the other. And they're all taking what worked before Cooper gave to Trestle, then Trestle gave to Fickle and Urban, and now Urban has passed this down to Ryan Day. And it's like, yeah. you know, you wonder how much more you can, how much more and better you can do. But uh, it's been a, it's a wild run of success. These guys that you've covered for so long and and know what they yeah. did. Like, it's it's really well, impressive to come in and be around that. Yeah, and you know, like Trestle's the one who started the go down and sing Carmen Ohio with the band after after a game was over, and uh, you know, obviously Urban Meyer last time to that kept that you know like he said it was gut-wrenching <laughs> those two times or several times he lost in ohio state two times he lost in ohio state and he'd go down there and do that and even on the road when the band was there you know but he only had to do it he only had to do it nine times so i don't feel that sorry for him are you kidding me that's still unbelievable uh i don't know if those numbers i don't know ryan day's off to a good start of matching those numbers uh i don't know if those numbers will ever be matched i mean seven in a row against michigan of course trestle won uh what uh four or five five, six, seven, and nine, two after the, the loss in 2003 against Michigan. That, you know, I, I keep telling everybody, uh, Austin, no matter who's involved, th this is the golden age of Ohio State football. 50 years from now, when you're writing your book and I'm up in heaven kind of like trying to lead you, you know, give you thoughts, <laughs> transmit you thoughts, I'm up in football heaven watching Bear, Bear Bright go against John McKay or something. Uh, those are what you're going to – you're going to look back on this era – I mean, it's been crazy how good the football and the, the, what's also crazy is when you make it good, 
how much people then expect more of it. You know, the fans expect not just for you to be contending for national championships, but to be winning. Um, and just like you brought up John Cooper a while ago, John Cooper back to being a perpetual contender on the national scale back in the mid nineties from 93 through, uh, through 98. I mean, they were, that was as good a program as there was in the country. And of course, back then it wasn't the college football playoff. There was just the BCS didn't start until 98. Uh, but they would have been in some playoffs even then. And, and that one slip during the year might not have cost them as much or that one loss to Michigan, you know, yeah. which by the way, added up to a bunch of losses against Michigan. Two ten and one was his record, but uh, just the great teams they had during in and the talent that came through the place was it was unbelievable. Yeah, did you mean to, to reference a specific slip? We were talking about Jim Cooper there or John Cooper. What did I say? Did I say John Jim Cooper? <laughs> I just remember one time, right, the the first year after uh, Jim Trussell took over. Uh, you know, I, I call my dog my son's name. I, you know, I mean, I get names mixed up all the time because I'm getting older. And uh, I said, uh, John, uh, Jim, and 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 Trussell's at the got the microphone at the at the uh, press conference he's going jim jim who's jim i mean no excuse me john john who's john i wish i could get the part out but that's that's what he did so uh he was so i liked about trestle man there was a there was a gleam in his eye at all times if you follow my drift yeah hey real quick speaking of gleam in your eye getting your temperature check walking in the door etc just real quickly we got like two minutes um Ohio State's going to open the facility June 8th. Last time we met on this podcast, we didn't know precisely, but we had an idea of what was coming. Uh, they're going to open the facility to voluntary workouts on June 8th. Uh, as we speak, um, the COVID-19 situation, uh, there's a lot of reopening going on, but there's also a lot of trepidation on whether there could be a second wave of infections, et cetera, which could force people back into their quarantines, et cetera. But uh, that is big uh, positive news, uh, a little snippet of positive news headed toward a possible college football season, which, by the way, uh, in the podcast, uh, Jim Trussell said he expects there to be college football this this year in some form. Yeah, that was uh, that was huge. You and I, I think, so we recorded last week, and we were talking about how the next wave would look and the options they were considering, and then the next day it sort of became clear as we were, you know, making those calls around that, that June 8th was going to be this target date. And we, you know, we heard several different things at first that, you know, it was going to be regardless of the NCAA vote, if it was going to be, you know, because of the expiring, you know, Ohio restrictions on the gym and maybe first, but, you know, I think this wound up being a plan in place. That's, that's not that difficult for them to execute on paper but now there's going to be a whole bunch of new challenges because just because nine or 10 players are working out for an hour and then a new wave comes in, I mean, that by itself is, is a lot of work. Um, but we're talking about football. So nine guys, that's not even a full offensive formation. Um, that's a reminder then of how much more there is to go before the game can actually be played because June the 8th, that's a positive step that uh, Ohio State, the Big Ten, the SEC – pretty much everywhere across the country is going to have their players back in June on a limited basis. But the way that this game is played, you're still going to need that six weeks of where you can have 22 people on a field at the same time. Then you're going to need to put them in pads and let them hit each other. 
Um, you know, the timeline for this is still maybe a little bit more compressed um, than is ideal. And so I don't know once we get through this next phase when the next one will begin, but the fact that there is a June 8th opening and they can ease back into some form of working out on campus, it's hard to deny that that's a massive step forward. Yeah, but you know, everybody, for the most part, people are working on the same kind of schedule, you know, around the country. I mean, uh, for the most part. And, uh, you know, the key is, you know, how's the NCAA going to police what's going on, meaning you or some teams going to jump right in maybe a little more aggressively <laughs> than others yeah. in terms of uh, the workouts, et cetera. You know, it's, you know, now's not the time to be stupid, you know, and uh, now's not the time to be, uh, football at all costs. I mean, now's the time to be smart so you can have football in the fall. And Ohio State, under Gene Smith's leadership, is taking that approach. You know what? Be smart about this. Be vigilant. Uh, stay on top of stuff, which mean, which being vigilant means. Yeah. Uh, but just, you know, don't be stupid. Uh, don't push the envelope to where we're going to have to step back in the middle of August and say, uh-oh, we were wrong. Uh, too many guys are getting COVID-19. Uh, you know, people keep pushing forth the idea that, you know, the, the huge majority of the people who have died from this and it's sort of had, have had bad uh, uh, experiences with COVID-19 or my age, you know, you know, above 60, et cetera. But, I, but you still don't want people having COVID-19, no matter what the situation is. But number two, uh, you know, you don't want people getting COVID-19 and giving it to others. That's the other part of it, you know. So it's like, you know, it's there's all kinds of considerations going on. But I think, you know, as you and I have been talking about on this podcast for many weeks now, I do think there's going to be some kind of form of a college football season in the fall. I think it could be – like I said a long time ago, I think it could be an all-conference season for the major conferences and then figure out a way to deal with the college football playoff at the end of it. And uh, I'm going to stick with that until, you know, the people in Oregon, for example, can get their act together. Yeah. I, you know, somebody asked me uh, that for the Letterman Road question of the day on Tuesday and, you know, about the Oregon-Ohio State game. And I, and I've, you know, people who've listened to this podcast know that I am not, I don't think predictions or projections about games is a worthwhile endeavor right now because you need that information all the way up to July. But I would hedge that to say if I was betting on whether that game is played right now, I would err on the side of cancellation because I do think that there is increasing uh, support for that conference only plan, not just for the big 10, but you know, for all leagues. And you've, you've touched on this before that, that, that could be, you know, a really bad deal for athletic departments at the MAC level or the Mountain West level and those other games that are key moneymakers for non-conference drivers for those programs. But in the interest – when we talked to Gene Smith last week on his most recent conference call, there were two or three times where he brought up conference-only plans and why those would make sense in terms of managing travel, uh, familiarity with the locker rooms. You're probably – you know – you would have two options really that he didn't even dive into this where you could, you could start the season in September and start playing those November games earlier, which imagine seeing uh, the game in late October or, you know, the first week of November, that's, you know, but if, if you're worried about a second wave, you could move big 10 games to start in September, you play it all and everything adjusts from there, or you keep it as is and just start playing in, in late September. Now those are just two things that are on the table out of, 
literally hundreds. Right. But, but the conference-only games, I think, are probably going to be uh, the, the best path forward them to, to have a full season. And then you have to figure out what are you going to do with the college football playoff? Are you going to guarantee bids to all the Power Five leagues? And, you know, maybe this leads to an 18 playoff or whatever, and however you, you fix it. I don't know. Because getting all these leagues to agree on it is tough. But uh, hey, who wrote that six or seven weeks ago that that's what I would do this year, one year only? Yeah, I, but you know what would be the problem with that? The problem with that would be then you would have people would say, well, why can't you have an 18 playoff? I mean, that, that's, that's what that'll lead to, as you well know. But I think that that, I mean, if that is the outcome, you know, sign me up for that because I, yeah. I used to always be opposed. I thought four was the right number. Uh, Ohio State, uh, incidentally, has helped prove why on several different occasions in several different ways why it doesn't work. Uh, right. But, you know, sometimes, you know, you need that necessity is the mother of invention. If you can't get the Sugar Bowl and the Rose Bowl to, you know, move off their days, guess what? Sometimes you get forced to by something outside your control, and maybe that's yeah. the way that you can strong arm it and get this thing to a more workable, you know, at least for this year, they're not going to have it. Like, if the Rose Bowl was played on January 1, you know, I think that that would be another upset just along the lines of that Oregon game being played. I think the schedule is going to have to be moved in some way to account for this because you're probably not going to play 12 Big Ten games. You're going to play 8 to 10. That's probably, and that's also contingent on if they could, if the SEC will move theirs around and play 10 games or nine games or whatever. But that, right. you're getting way off track. You didn't want me to do that today. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think that that is much more likely um, this week than last week or the week before. But you've been saying that for seven weeks, and I, I, have, I absolutely believe you're right. You know, speaking of get off track, this this has turned into like that uh, Denzel Washington Denzel Washington movie, uh, um, where he uh, he and that guy chase down. I think it's Chris Pine chase down a runaway freight train from behind and catch it and save the day. And uh, with that said, we have caught the runaway freight train from him. behind Boston, and uh, it is funny how it went from like late winter to mid July weather-wise in a span of a week and a half in central Ohio. Agreed? Uh, I was not complaining because I've, you know, the one uh, outlet that we've had for recreation has been uh, our golf games, and uh, the weather did not really comply for much, whether it was rain or cold or wind. This was the first weekend where the sunscreen was out, and uh, my wife was, uh, Allie, was nice enough to let me go twice over the Memorial Day weekend, um, and I did not mind one bit that it was summer. Uh, after all the other stuff that we've gone through, I think we've earned it. We didn't need spring. Uh, we're here now. Yeah. By the way, I need a few more of those vice pass out balls that uh, our boss Will Crawl has. You know. Right. Uh, but, but speaking of Allie, uh, tell her that uh, before Jim Trussell and I started the podcast part of our thing, he asked me why his book wasn't up here behind my shoulder. I said, well, that's where I keep all my buddy Jeff Snook's books to kind of promote Jeff Snook, my, my best buddy. But uh, it's pretty funny. So uh, what goes around comes around on this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. He's still got the plug. There you go, man. Hey, but until next time, uh, for Boston, you know him as Austin Ward. This is Tim May. Thanks for tuning in to the Tim May Podcast. We'll see you next week.